Uh, so my, my hope is to uh, pick up where um, Catherine left off, and I'll, I'll review a little bit. Um, she and I, I think, have had pretty, serious, pretty similar kinds of experiences over the years. And um, so some of the things I say, you'll be like, well, Catherine said that last week. Well, hopefully soon you'll be saying that because you'll be teaching this. Uh, and we all should say approximately uh, the same thing where this is concerned. Uh, but my, my hope is actually to give you, uh, by the end of this, uh, this relatively short teaching, a sense of having really practical things of like how you could handle this the next time it comes up in your ministry. And then uh, if we have enough time, I want to spend a little bit of time on uh, the rules for discernment of spirits from Ignatius of Loyola, um, which I think will help you with the subtle discernment of spirits and will also help you to know when you are being afflicted in, um, by, uh, by, by the demonic because in ministry, the devil hates what we're doing. He's always trying to mess with us. And so I think some of these rules help us with our own discernment. Um, because one of the most important things, I think, for me when I think of my pastoral ministry is I, 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 when I'm ministering to the demonic, it's, it's not just like the ones who are like, oh, yeah, I've you know, been seeing a tarot card reader and now like a demon's chasing me around. Like I also want to be able to sit down with, with a person who hasn't necessarily done anything occult but you could, but it's clearly there is something going on, and um, I want to be able to minister to them as well. So I think Ignatius's rules for discernment help us to acknowledge, uh, to to discern when they're there, and then to deal with them. So, all right. So I want to begin with a, a fun little story. This was two summers ago. I was in my office over there, and um, Will Chester, our youth pastor, came in and he said, "Hey, you know this kid from a youth from the youth group." And uh, he's, he's befriended this, um, this girl. I think she was maybe 15, 16. He was probably 17, 18. And uh, his friend is just really, you know, there's something demonic going on. And so uh, he said, you know, Will, can I come in and pray with you? Can you, like, help us take care of this? And uh, Will's eyes were kind of like saucers, you know, like, what? You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not exactly the resident exorcist around here. So um, who's going to help me? And, of course, in the summer, like, no one's around. So, like, he and I are the only two in the office. So he, he came by, and I was, like, catching up on my email or something really important, you know. And, um, and my first thought was, like, you don't need my help to handle this. Like, you could deal with this. And um, so he was like, oh, okay, you know, like, I'll do my best. And then after he left, I'm like, oh, come on, Val. Like, do you want to get further through your email pile, or do you, like, maybe want to help Will here and see what can happen? So I was like, I'm really sorry, Will. Yes, of course, I would be happy to help you. So, uh, and, it, you know, it was, it was really simple. I, I'm pretty sure that it was, um, she'd been at, like, a... a She'd been at a um, sleepover somewhere, and there's this spooky game. You may have heard about it. Uh, like, it has something to do with Lizzie Borden and looking in the mirror and all this kind of stuff. Essentially, it's, it's like, um, it's kind of like telling ghost stories, but it sort of takes it to another level. So essentially, after she did this, she's been afflicted by 
fear and anxiety and, and strange kind of sensations in her body. Um, and she is totally freaking out because she's like, you know, I broke the rules and now the demons are after me. She was really upset. So we talked it through and, um, and I said, you know, it, it does seem like you, you opened the door to this demonic affliction, but the good news is you opened it, you can close it. Um, so I said, let's just do something really simple. I want you to just ask God's forgiveness for uh, engaging in this, this practice. And um, then I want you to use your body to help you pray. And that, that window that's like wide open, um, I want you to just like close your eyes and imagine you're taking that window and shutting the window on that demonic influence that's been coming through. So we, we did exactly that. She closed the window. She cried a little bit. You know, she's like, oh, that weird feeling went away in my body. And we just went on our way. So after that, uh, Will dubbed this the um, exorcism boom chicka boom prayer. So um, otherwise known as exorcism for dummies, OK? <laughs> so. <laughs> So this is like this is like the real title of this talk is exorcism for dummies because it it is actually something that you can engage in with with courage, with um, hope and expectation that really most of the time it may not be all that big of a deal. It's critically important. It can change the whole course of a person's life, but the actual work that we're doing is relatively simple. So. Um, let, let's just review uh, a little bit from scripture here. Um, first of all, from Mark 6, that when Jesus sends out the 12, he gives them authority over unclean spirits. Simple enough. And it says they cast out many demons and anointed the sick with oil uh, and many who were sick and, and healed them. And then from Luke 10, um, Jesus appoints the 72. So this is his sort of larger band of ministers, which of course is also important because um, I think it's easy for us to disqualify ourselves if it, like, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not one of the 12. Uh, we can very quickly move towards like, I don't know if that's for me. So, but immediately Jesus is moving even beyond the 12 to the 72 and he gives them um, the same instruction. Um, and the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the, dub even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And then from Acts, uh, this, this is, I think, um, probably the, the passage that gives us this clearest sort of pastoral application. Um, so it's, it's the story of um, Paul's encounter uh, with the Jewish exorcists uh, and the seven, seven sons of Sceva. So um, um, the itinerant Jewish exorcists overtook uh, to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had the evil spirit, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, 
so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. First of all, just this obvious comment that just the magic of the name of Jesus, it's not a magical incantation. Um, <laughs> when I was a college student, there was an adjunct professor at Wheaton who had some kind of a, an arthritis or something that she was really concerned that it was demonic in its source. So why she decided us students should come over and pray for her, I don't exactly know. But, but there was kind of a charismatic group growing on, and you know, I guess no one else was available to do exorcisms or whatever. But um, when we came in, her husband, who was, uh, he was like an engineer or a, um, an accountant, kind of a right brain kind of guy, you know, or whatever that is, the really analytical. And um, <laughs> he didn't know re really for sure whether he could trust us. So he said, first you have to say, Jesus is Lord. I'm like, you know, like whatever, Jesus is Lord. But it was like he had a magical understanding that if I would just say those words with my mouth, that therefore, you know, he could trust me. Um, which, on the one hand, I appreciate, you know, his superstition. On the other hand, um, the name of Jesus is not, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a magic word. And that's exactly how um, these Jewish exorcists were trying to use it, you know, like, um, like a magic spell. Here's the, here's the best word, you know. Um, so that, I think, is, is a clear distinction, too, that when we're talking about exorcism, we're not talking about, like, if you use exactly the right formula and say it in exactly the right way, it'll work. <laughs> but, like, and if you don't, then it won't work. Um, that, that is not the case at all. Uh, those who were successful were actually those who, who knew Jesus because they're in... Um, they're collaborating with him. They're actually moving at, at his impulse, at his direction, rather than just, you know, heading out with a, you know, prayer in their pocket to, like, see what will happen. So, all right. And then uh, verse 18, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. Um, and this is, I think, where we find people. I mean, certainly you find um, non-Christians or people are on their way to becoming the Lord, uh, you know, coming to Christ who are under demonic affliction. But even believers need to take really careful stock of what's going on. So... Um, with that sort of biblical uh, basis, uh, let me just mention these common complaints that when I hear these, I, I'm asking the question, is there something demonic going on? Um, intrusive thoughts. Um, um, it, it's important even here to note that people who struggle with various kinds of a mental illness also struggle with uh, intrusive thoughts and... Um, I think over the years, the position I've come to take, it is not either or. Is it mental illness or is it demonic oppression? It's always both. Um, because when the mind is weakened um, through mental illness, the devil is just like, oh good, it's easier for me to work here. Um, so those intrusive thoughts, it's not as though you're like, 
it's a, a simplistic thing. Oh, if you would just get some prayer, this would go away. But that those who struggle with intrusive thoughts, um, whether they are, uh, you know, recognizably uh, mentally ill or not, I always consider that um, a problem. Um, anxiety uh, is part of this. I was thinking about this. Uh, we, we just moved house. And um, so I'm kind of mentally fatigued, I think, from packing up all my boxes and unpacking all my boxes and all the changes and everything. And uh, the last uh, two, not this morning, but the two previous mornings when I awakened, I was just worrying about something kind of irrational, like slightly based in reality, but not entirely so, you know? And I was like, what the heck, you know? I gotta act against this. I'm not gonna accept this. Um, all of us, I think, can struggle from these intrusive, intrusive thoughts, and it signals to us that we're in spiritual battle. Uh, the other is intrusive images. Um, um, uh, the intrusive images can be, often are uh, uh, something that the person has already seen. So um, if they've witnessed something violent or um, um, sexually inappropriate or they've viewed an image or seen a movie or something like that, it's like when they close their eyes, the image keeps representing itself. And they'll, they'll come with that, with that complaint. Um, maybe, um, you know, it's been about a year ago and a, a, a woman sought me out on a Sunday morning who was struggling with this. And um, um, it had to do with um, this intense concern that she had that her house was being haunted. And so she would have this sort of like, in her imagination, these scary images of um, uh, demonic things happening. And it was like, she was really afraid for her children and everything. Um, so we, we prayed into it. And uh, interestingly enough, it was actually related to a wound um, in her heart and mind that had happened to her as a child. And so when we prayed into the wound, uh, then the, the intrusive images just stopped happening. Uh, compulsive uh, urges towards certain behaviors, um, unexplained fear or anxiety, that's the devil's favorite tactic with me. Um, repetitive, uh, uh, violent or demonic dreams can be an indicator there's something going on. Um, other occasions for demonic incursion or oppression, uh, trauma. I know Catherine mentioned most of these, uh, especially when the person's will has been overpowered for example, in abuse or violence. Um, abuse of power is true here as well. Um, uh, uh, people who, who are um, uh, racial, ethnic minorities who've just been traumatized by like a majority culture trying to like control them. Um, sometimes that, that creates a, a kind of trauma. Um, hallucinogenic drug use. Uh, including extreme consumption of alcohol because uh, those, those drugs impair the will. Uh, our wills are given over. People do all kinds of kooky things under the influence of those drugs. So the will is being um, weakened. Uh, viewing or consuming dark, perverse, porno pornographic images um, or age-inappropriate images. Um, it, it's interesting sometimes how, and some people are more sensitive to than others, you know, like 
a movie that like wouldn't bother most people, this particular person, like they can't sleep because they keep replaying this in their mind over and over again. A, there's a trauma, but B, often the devil is making use of that. And then of course, occult or new age um, experiments um, and experiences. Um, I think that's, that's a pretty common one for um, uh, late middle school, um, middle school, high school, you know, like kids get together and they're like just fascinated with all things supernatural and it seems harmless enough, but some of them will like really be bothered after that. I mean, it isn't good for any of them, but <laughs> some are like more profoundly impacted by those experiences than others. And that's what they may bring to you as, uh, you know, I, I'm worried about this. All right, just a word about the human will, and then I'll go into some practical suggestions. Um, this is a um, little, uh, it, it's, a, it's a quote slash summary of Thomas Aquinas um, about the human will. Um, he says, the human will is the precise point where God intersects the soul. God and the soul touch one another will to will by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in cooperation with the human will moves and directs the Christian towards grace and glory. So therefore, the goal of the demonic powers is to gain increasing access and control of the person's will through the mind, imagination, um, and habitual behavior. Um, I just, uh, I've been rereading um, a novel by uh, George MacDonald, um, <clears throat> tragically called The Tudor's First Love, which makes it sound like some kind of a romance, <laughs> which it really isn't. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's how they were marketing the book in the 80s, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. They made them all sound like romance novels. Movies. Yes, all of those. Yep, yep. Uh, but anyways, it's a very interesting one because the, the main storyline is this very uh, manipulative, occultish um, count who is trying to control um, kind of a, a younger, vulnerable woman. And uh, it's all about how he's gaining power over her, her will. And uh, that is exactly uh, the strategy of the devil as well as to gain power over the will. Um, so our, because of that, our goal in ministry to those who are oppressed by demonic influence is, influences is to call the person to engage their will against the evil one. Um, this is, I think, the, when I look back at like, I don't know, failed exorcisms of the past <laughs> or experiments I you know, did in my 20s uh, with people who were demonically afflicted and it didn't work so well, um, and seeing folly, I would say folly, among, um, um, <laughs> among those who were you know, sort of initiating me into, into, into this ministry. So uh, I was still a Wheaton student, and um, my friend was, uh, lived in Indiana, and uh, one of her pastors, uh, a, a few of their pastors like, were kind of like on this exorcism fad thing, where like, they were praying for deliverance for everybody. And um, it usually involved yelling at the person a lot. So, you know, you'd say, oh, Val, you know, I'm struggling with nightmares. And then I would, like, yell at you and cast them out, you know, and, like, completely overwhelm you. And, of course, you would start crying because <laughs> you were totally overwhelmed, you know. And I'd be like, look, she's crying. It must be working, you know. And, uh, 
it, but it was all about like the prayer minister essentially overwhelming the will of the other person. Um, <laughs> and mind you, God used it in some ways. I think some people were really helped, but it was interesting they had a lot of repeat customers because they'd be like, they're back, you know? It's like, exactly, now you have a secondary trauma, right? The exorcism is a trauma as well, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw something hideous. At, at this time, there was uh, this, this guy who, like, I think you can still find him on the internet. His name is Wynn Worley. What? Yeah, oh, an exorcist named Wynn Worley. Anyways, his, he, he felt like the only way to get the demons out was to barf them out. Vomiting, literally vomiting. So um, uh, I was visiting my friend in Indiana again, and like, there was nothing to do in this small town, so people like, I think, went to church for entertainment's sake. <laughs> it was terrible. So like, when Worley's in town, we should go check it out, you know? <laughs> so what weird thing are we gonna see, you know? So we walk into this little country church, which smells, is reeks of vomit, of course. And there's like, there's like buckets on each pew and rolls of paper towel. And the, but the thing that actually traumatized me was in the front of the sanctuary was um, uh, um, a woman laying on her back with four men holding her down, and she's writhing, screaming. The ex, the wind whirly is talking to the demons, and I mean, it was horrible. Like it took me like weeks to get over, you know, just the memory of the smell and like the 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 undignified way in which this woman was treated. You know, um, um, which, you know, I was like, you know, there must be a better way. There must be a better way. Um, so it was actually the first time I went to a healing conference kind of like fully alive. And um, the person who was leading it said, well, we're just going to, uh, uh, we're going to pray for the healing of the will and we are going to renounce um, our practices. And then we're just going to go with the holy water. So they went with the holy water and wow, a lot of demons came out and n no one had to be humili humiliated and no one had to be yelled at. Um, and it was, even though there was some crying and shrieking going on, it was peaceful and it was full of love and it was safe for people. Um, but I think one of the biggest differences between those two approaches is the one assumed that it was sort of your, the exorcist's like, uh, personal power, the words they used, the force with which they they commanded and used their authority to, you know, overpower the um, the the demon, which unfortunately meant actually overpowering the person, um, versus that which called the person to engage their will, to take responsibility, to repent, and to let God do the work. Um, so. Um, our goal is to really get this person to engage their will against the evil one. So when I asked that young woman, first of all, will you just ask the Lord's forgiveness for engaging in this practice? And then when I say, will you close the window, even, you, even moving your body activates your will. You know, if I say, come over here, and you move from here to there, you have not only made a decision to follow my invitation, but you've actually used your body to execute it. So the will has been engaged even on a, on a physical and a bodily uh, level. So we call the person to engage their will against the evil one. Um, Ignatius of Loyola has what I think is a really important point 
And he says, we need to act against the mnemonic. Like, when we are under attack, uh, we, we, we shouldn't be passive. Um, you know, Martin Luther is, uh, there's a story about him. He's trying to translate the Bible, right? And he feels this demonic attack coming against him, and he throws his ink pot at the devil. You know, that's like acting against uh, the desolation. Um, my uh, spiritual director uh, <laughs> said that when she feels like the devil is messing with her, she goes to her back, her back door. This, mind you, this is like a sweet little Catholic lady, you know. She, like, she opens her sliding gas, glass, glass door, and she imagines the devil's there, and she says, get out of here! You know, she like, you know, like you would try to chase the squirrels off your bird feeder or something, you know, get, 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 get out of here. You know, like you engage the will, you act. Uh, we can do that for ourselves, but we're also asking the person we're praying for to engage their will. They're not just like, oh, I'm hopeless and helpless, no one can do it. You know, you fix me. Um, that will never work. If their will's engaged, isn't also engaged, you are wasting your time, wasting your time. So we invite the person to open and yield their wills to God. Um, and in that place of openness to God and their, their decision to act against that, um, which is demonic, then we can exercise our authority to rebuke um, evil spirits, um, including the use of holy water. I think this is especially important. Um, sometimes I feel like I'll be praying with someone and I am much more in tune with how serious the situation is than they are. And it actually won't help them um, for me to like say, you know, the devil's trying to destroy you. You know, like, <laughs> like, they're, like they're, they have too sensitive of a personality. You know, like that'd be, then they're gonna go around, the only thing I remember from Fully Alive is Deacon Val said the devil's trying to destroy me. You know, like, I don't want that to get stuck in their head, you know? Um, I actually prayed for someone at Fully Alive and um, I just felt like she had come out of a season where there was a, maybe a three or four years when she was just being tempted into, into a self-deception. And uh, it was being, um, lifted, there were a lot of tears, she didn't know what was going on. But you know, I just used a little holy water, it was very gentle, I prayed for her, and then there were more tears, and then she, afterwards she was like, I, just my mind feels so much clearer after that, you know? Um, so I could exercise that authority without um, freaking her out. All right, so here's some practical steps, the five minute exorcism, right? So. Mind you, it doesn't always go this smoothly, but there's a lot of things that you can handle very quickly. Um, first of all is just to listen to the complaint or the concern and to ask questions. Um, uh, often they will present, you know, the intrusive thoughts, weird sensations in their body, um, maybe a, a strange slew of bad things happening to them. Uh, just listen to their complaint and concern. Uh, and then help the person we want them to name it as demonic, if at all possible. Um, because this helps them to grow. Um, so you might say something like, I think you might be in spiritual battle. Does that ring true to you? Because um, it's much better if they're like, yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes I'm really direct with people. Um, I was working with this man one time who was like, 
he was doing the weirdest thing. He was like keeping a notebook about anything that his wife did or said that he thought was like an affront to him. And um, I mean, it was like this thick. It was a little crazy. Yeah. And um, I was like, this is not from God, you know? Like, God, God is not asking you to do it. You know, the devil is messing with your mind. Sometimes it really helps to just tell people that the devil is messing with your mind. Um, and, that, and to speak that word of hope, you know, Jesus wants to relieve you of this suffering right now. Um, I don't think I've ever prayed with someone that was really open and wanting help that didn't receive some relief. Um, uh, even if it's someone who has chronic mental illness and this is going to be kind of a part of the cycle for a long time, they'll receive some peace in that moment, um, which is the strength and the grace that God has for them. Um, the third one is just to help the person identify the entry point of the demonic influence. Uh, so simple questions like, when did this start happening? Um, have you ever experimented with occult practices? Uh, and then I know Catherine gave you a whole list of uh, demonic inroads last week. But don't, don't hesitate to ask questions because sometimes people do things naively. Other times, actually, their conscience is already really being pain, is pained and you can help them to articulate that. And then finally, to engage the person's will. Ask the person to verbally renounce the dark spirit uh, and any practices. And then I really like to ask the person to move his or her body as part of the prayer. Um, because in order to move the body, we must engage our wills. So uh, these are three that I've used um, on many occasions. Um, and there might be a lot of other prayers going on. People could be praying in tongues. You might be using holy water. You know, all sorts of things can be going on. But I want this kind of a, like, embodied action to be a part of what's going on. Um, so the close the window one, I think that's great because they have to use their hands, right? And if, if they say, ah, I'm not really ready to close the window, well then, you know, <laughs> uh, what else are we going to do? I had this really interesting experience with, um, I was at a, a little weekend healing conference in Florida, and it was so interesting because there were probably 12 or 15 people who had been attending the church but wouldn't really call themselves Christians yet. And um, this one guy, he was, I think he was maybe 26 or 27. He had the most terrible BO. I don't know why the man didn't bathe, but he was, he was a really nice looking, well-dressed man, but he smelled so bad. That's just a side story. It didn't have anything <laughs> to do with demons. But it was like, he, he had, there was like, it, it was like the smell of a homeless person with the appearance of a hipster. You know, it was really strange. So uh, anyways, <laughs> I mean, on, honestly, I think it was part of the, of the symptoms of how under the power of uh, the devil this poor man was. Um, so anyways, uh, the, a teaching had been given on this, and um, he came up asking for prayer. And like, I knew, you know, like the girlfriend he's sleeping with is in the next pew, and like, this man is on the way. I know he's not receiving communion at this church. Um, um, but it, it was very interesting because he was, he was being... Um, just tormented with not being able to sleep, uh, with, with fear, um, with dark images, with all kinds of things. And um, um, 
what was he? What was he engaged in? What practice? It was literally a, 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 a practice of divination because he and this other man were um, one of the same girl, and um, apparently there was some sort of like almost like trying to like cast spells on each other so who could get the girl, you know? I mean, it was a really weird situation. And, um, <laughs> um, and then he was also involved in um, an occult practice. So it was very interesting. We started with the occult practice because that was the easier one to deal with, you know? And um, so we, I asked him to renounce it, he did. We did the shut the window thing, I used some holy water and um, I mean, he visibly looked, he visibly looked different. Um, but then I was like, and what about these practices to control this girl and, and your rival? Are you ready to renounce those practices? Well, no, not yet. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, like until you're ready, I'm not praying into that, you know? Like if you're not ready to renounce the practices, then there's not much more we can do there. Um, and I, I kind of felt like it was a dud. I'm like, well, that was kind of a half-baked exorcism, you know? And uh, it was interesting, though, because the people who knew him well, because he's a part of this community, they said, well, he, he looks like a completely different person. You know, and I, I mean, obviously, there's more to follow, right? I mean, this man needs to fully come into the kingdom and trust the Lord. But even in that, like, on-the-road portion of his journey, even then, the, minist this, the ministry of the Spirit... Um, and as much as he was ready and willing to engage his will, was effective. So, um, with with images that are um, um, coming into the mind and afflicting the mind, um, this simple um, idea of uh, giving to the image to Jesus and seeing what he does with it is great. As I feel like I've told this story too many times about my daughter Karis and her watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, okay. So, um, the two little stories. So first of all, uh, when she was about five, um, uh, she and my husband were sadly watching the sci-fi channel, which is not really appropriate for five-year-olds, but you know, I wasn't home. So, um, <laughs> so anyways, at bedtime, um, she could not get to sleep because every time she closed her eyes, she saw this kind of alien creature crashing through the ceiling in her bedroom and falling into her room. Every time she closed her eyes. You know, we've been through the like, get a drink of water, I need a snack, I got, you know, we've been, been all, done all those things. And then finally I was like, eh, this, I think this is actually demonic. I think we need to actually um, pray. So I said, so what we're gonna do, Karis, is um, we're just gonna ask Jesus to come be in the room with us, and um, he's gonna be right here and he's gonna be holding his hands and out to you. And what I'd like you to do is imagine that we printed out that scary image and now it's like stuck in your brain. And I want you to take your hands with your fingers and pull that, imagine you're pulling that image out of your brain and then you give it to Jesus and see what he does with it. So we start the prayer and um, her eyes are closed. I see the hand come up like this and then a big sigh. Well, what happened? What, what did Jesus do with it? She said, oh, he put it in a trash can and he fired it up. I'm like, well, all right then. <laughs> all right then, that's awesome.
awesome, you know, great, wonderful, you know. So I used a little holy water, we prayed for her, she went to sleep, that was that. Um, so seven years later, um, we, have a, we have another uh, me media snafu where uh, we, the wonderful movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we had forgotten some of the bad parts. <laughs> so we're like, oh, this is so cool, the music is so awesome, blah, 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 so, you know. Uh, so we're watching it, and at the end, there is this horrible scene around uh, the Ark of the Covenant where first these, these beautiful angelic presences come in, and they're like swirling around, and then like they turn horrid, like they turn into like demon faces, and I think someone dies, and whatever. It's, it's awful. It's just awful. Mm -hmm. So we had the same problem at 12. She's like, Mom, every time I close my eyes to go to sleep, I see the face of that like angel demon thing and I can't sleep. I said, well, um, maybe you remember this from when you were five. She's like, no, I don't remember that when I was five. Okay, all right, okay, so this is what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna invite Jesus to come into your room and um, he's gonna come here, he's gonna put out his hands to you. You take your hand, you pull the image out of your head, you give it to Jesus and see what he does with it. So repeat, right, same thing. Pulls it out, big sigh. I said, well, what did Jesus do with the image? She said, it went into the wounds in his hand. It's gone. Uh, prayed, use a little holy water, prayed for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. She goes to sleep, that's that. So simple, so simple. Um, uh, she's engaged her will, right? She's given the image the Lord. Um, I've apologized for showing her this terrible movie. <laughs> um, my fault, not your sin, mine, you know. Um, and um, that's, it's so simple. It's so powerful. Um, about, I don't know, this may have been a year or so ago, I was sitting with this man, and uh, he's like, he's a college professor. You know, it's like not the kind of person that I would expect to be overcome with, like, Fear, and he was just like, he was so afraid of everything. And he was just suffering, I would say, a demonic affliction of fear. And um, I said, you know, let's, let's, the, the, this is like a, a weed, like an invasive weed in the garden of your soul. So, you know, let's just walk into the garden of your soul and ask the Lord to show us what this weed of fear is. What is this weed of fear? And um, <laughs> it was interesting, immediately he remembered that in his, he had like a small yard and he had a crabgrass invasion. I don't know if you've ever had a crabgrass invasion, but it's terrible, it's really hard to get rid of, you know. And so he had spent a significant amount of time like the weekend before, like trying to get the roots of the, of the, um, of the crabgrass out of his yard. And uh, he was seeing this image as part of his soul and so he, he, he saw Jesus just like s sitting next to him on, you know, on both of them on their knees, pulling this out. And um, uh, as they were pulling, he kept putting it into a bucket. Uh, you know, hundreds of these little uh, uh, tentacles of, the, of these weeds. And um, he was the one putting it in the bucket. And at some point, um, he, he felt like the bucket was really big. And um, he felt like Jesus was saying, look in the bucket. So when he looks in the bucket, 
the bucket is full of blood, the blood of Christ. And the, the weeds are like just um, dissolving uh, in, into, the, into the blood of Christ. Um, and he's a crier anyways, but a lot of tears. And, um, and then I prayed, I used my authority after he you know, act, enacted his will. Um, and like, that was that, you know, this, this affliction of fear that had been over him for about two and a half weeks was gone. Um, so uh, using, be, being able to like um, let the heart speak symbolically and let the spirit of God speak symbolically uh, and invite Jesus into those image, in the imagery is very powerful. All right. Um, and then my final suggestion to you is um, one, uh, the uh, take a big step out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Um, I don't know if you ever happened to be around sort of a, what I, you know, this sounds kind of disrespectful, I don't mean it to be, but like a big hairy exorcism, like this happens at Res occasionally. You know, you'll be like, what is going on over there? You know, like, and it might last for 20 minutes or half an hour, you know, and priests are there and Catherine's there and people are there and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, and, the, and, and they, may ha- they may be tons of things, you know, like in the course of that half an hour, they may pray through like childhood memories and this and that and the other. I mean, it's really complex. But one of the things I love to do after that kind of a like really kind of tangled um, experience is to say, now that you're feeling a little better, I'd like you to get up off the floor, you know, kind of, again, the, the body, empower the body. You just stand up straight in the Lord. And I just want you, just as we think about like drawing a line in the sand, here you are with darkness all around you. I just want you to take a great big step into the kingdom of God, into the light. And there's something about that, like moving the body that helps to um, um, bring a, a kind of a sense of closure, even like a body memory of like, this is when I stepped out of this and into the new thing uh, that God had for me. So those are my, those are my exorcism for dummies tips that will, I think, take you far if you just start uh, experimenting with them. Any thoughts or comments or questions or similar story comes to mind or something that's been just sort of stirring in your heart and mind as we've been talking that we can interact about? No. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, I, I think what I would say is the issues are the same, but the manifestations are a little bit different. You know, so like um, someone who's under an affliction of fear, you know, the man may be worried more about his career and whether his colleagues respect him and that kind of thing. Uh, the mom might be like worried that, you know, her kid's going to fall away from the Lord and, you know, like their fears, they are more relational or like my, my friendships are going to break down or um, um, the, some of those like spheres of life can be different. Um, although I've seen men in just as much anxiety, demonic anxiety about 
you know, their kids and their relationships as women, and, and women super worried about uh, their ministry or their, or, their, or their work. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found it pretty, pretty similar, actually. Yeah. Are, are there things that you've noticed? Because I know you get into these kind of situations sometimes, too. I think that might be true. I, you know, I think of the people who've had some of the most been really sensitive to the images. Um, oftentimes, creative people and women in particular um, can be very. Um, uh, I, I think this. Uh, I, I tend to notice some more of the differences too around the self-deception piece, like. Um, that receptive capacity of woman, uh, the caretaking capacity of woman, being like twisted so that someone feels like obsessed with needing to take care of another person. Like I see that more um, with, with, with women than men. Um, that kind of codependent um, caretaking thing getting, I don't know, the devil messing with that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, I think some of that, it, the, I think then you're, you're, you're um, one, you need to do a little more life history on them, because I think oftentimes someone whose will has been compromised, if there's a whole, a whole string of things, they may have been overpowered by another person's will at some point in their childhood. Um, they, they also need to know when they started giving away their freedom and to whom. Um, uh, and that re requires, I think, some insight. Um, and, th and then praying into it. Um, one of the ways that I've sometimes, um, I'm thinking of people like in, in, a, in, a, in a marriage where one person is really domineering and uh, the other person is like always exerting so much energy to not get taken over by the dominant person's will. And it doesn't, it could be male or female. Um, I, I just have found myself, one, helping them to see it, but then they have got to be bound to Christ. You know, um, uh, anything in them that would want, would want to be dominated or want, would want to make peace through allowing themselves to be dominated, um, there's an idolatry there, and they have to choose, um, like, only the Lord. <laughs> I will only give my will to the Lord. So that can involve some like more subtle teasing out um, of what is actually idolatry but might be mistaken as obedience or love or um, something like that. I don't know if that helps. But I, I think you do, it's, it's not like a quick prayer, strengthen the will. You know, there's got to be some insight and understanding as to how the will has been wounded. And oftentimes it's, it sins against them. 
you know, a really domineering parent um, can uh, have a, a, a real crushing effect on the will. And it's almost like they, they come into adulthood without a sense of will. And it can take time. I think that's one of those more incremental healings, you know, that the will is strengthened over time. Mm-hmm, right. And then you wonder, it's because like that will needs to be engaged or that person needed to like do certain things with their will to be able to um, provoke their family that. But then if, if it's actually like their will being overpowered by the will of the other person, then you get yourself into this, I have to be personally powerful to, yeah. to like, uh, have clouds of demons. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that's like it's making me think about yeah. a lot of things. And then in your question, you know, someone's willing to compromise the freedom given up to like also I mean our whole lives and even the will is actually like a big thing mm. that I was sorting through and realizing mm. that kind of like only the cost of my um, anger or disgust with certain individuals was this feeling of like my my will has been overpowered. Mm. Into the, the 
and this force of him like taking that knocked us both to the ground. Mm. So we're sitting on the floor, kind of humiliated a little bit, you know. Right. But there wasn't like an aggression to how he was mm-hmm. doing; just a very like assertive, and it didn't make me afraid because he was so familiar mm-hmm. with it, you know. And it was like Clint and I were sitting on the ground, looking at each other, kind of stunned with this feeling of like. <laughs> I was like, it was almost like just like it had broken. I was like, no, <laughs> brother Clint. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I mean, really, God is the only one to whom we can give that sort of submission to without losing the self. Right. Yeah. So I wonder just, like, in these kind of settings, if you also run into people that will feel like, that have resistance to, be, to being overpowered even by you or mm-hmm. by, you know, Yeah, right. Yeah, and to, and to really to respect where they are. Yeah. Um, you know, like this young man that's like on his way to Christ, you know, it would have been much better for him if he just would have renounced it all right, right then. Yeah. You know, but I had to really trust, like, God's got this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't up to me. And he's like, he's in a church with people who love him and understand the ministry of the Spirit, you know. And, and ultimately, he's got to make up his mind. Um, and and we can wait, and I can wait. I can wait for that. Um, and I, people feel that respect. I think. Well, I mean, I, I'm a relatively meek person, just generally speaking, you know. And it's like I don't think that's been a disadvantage in this ministry, at all. So I hope you guys just give it a go, you know. Uh, Would you like to look at some rules of discernment? Um, um, Yeah, let's pass those babies out. All right, so um, Ignatius has two sets of rules for discernment, and um, I'm not going to go over all of them because I don't think we have enough time. I did put that cute little cartoon of the dog on the front because that dog looks a lot like my dog, Fiona, and I am suspicious that demons are tempting her to do bad stuff all the time. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Actually, the main reason I put them there is that... um, Ignatius uses this kind of dated, I mean, because he was, you know, 1600s, but he'll say the good spirit and the bad spirit, which actually 
he's, I think he uses these vague terms quite purposefully, because when he says the good spirit, he means the Holy Spirit, he means the Trinity, he also means the angelic help. But how are you supposed to tease out, now was that the Holy Spirit or was that an angel? Like, so he just kind of puts it in the general category of the good. And then uh, the bad spirit, he, he puts in kind of a, also a generic category. You know, is the devil personally here? Is it one of his minions? Is this the flesh? You know, is this the world? He just wants to kind of put the bad spirit all together in one, uh, uh, under, one uh, under one rubric. And in, in that way, there's a lack of precision that I think is healthy. Because I don't think we can actually be that precise with these things. Okay. So I want to take a look at the first two rules on page one, just because this, I think, is really an uh, important insight that he has. Um, he says that the, for those who are moving away from God or spiritually regressing, the evil spirit tries to convince us that evil is good. It will make self-centered behavior seem appealing and comfortable. Uh, the good spirit, on the other hand, will sting our conscience, raise doubts about the path we are taking, and encourage a different course. Um, I think this is really an interesting to think, to think about when we're uh, dealing either with Christians who are going in the wrong direction. Um, I'm thinking of a woman that, um, I, I mean, I've known her for 20 years, and I saw her heart in her heart in her marriage, heart in her heart against the Lord, decide she's not a Christian anymore, and leave her husband. You know, I mean, this is definitely a regression, moving in the wrong direction. Um, and this is exactly, you know, like she couldn't stand going to church because it felt awful to her, it felt dangerous and unsafe to her because she's actually moving away from the Lord. On the other hand, any kind of seductive, you know, worldly wisdom that she heard, oh, it just felt so comforting because the direction of her will is actually faced away from the Lord. So what we would say is, the Holy Spirit is here. I feel so deeply comfortable. She's going to be like, ooh, this is like nails on the chalkboard for me because the will is set away from God. Uh, rule two, for the person who's spiritually maturing and growing closer to God, the spirits use the opposite tactics. The evil spirit will give us doubts about our path, create in us a false sadness about things that will be missed and discourage us from movement towards God. On the other hand, the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, will console and encourage our path through peace and joy. Um, this, was, this is really helpful to me, you know, when I think, how can anyone not feel the Holy Spirit here? <laughs> well, where's the will set? Is the will set towards God? Is the will set uh, away from God? Um, there's also a wonderful grace here, uh, I think, especially when we're walking with people who are... Um, like an addiction, you know, someone who's walking away from the Lord in addiction, and all of a sudden they're like, my life sucks. I hate my life. That's the Holy Spirit <laughs> making them miserable, right? So when they experience the Spirit of God, it's probably not going to be good feelings. It's going to be bad feelings. So that, that I think, is a really helpful um, insight. All right. Um, Uh, let's go to rule six. We're just going to touch on a few highlights that I think are really helpful. Uh, and this is a paraphrase by a guy named Randy Otto. Uh, while we shouldn't run from the pain, we shouldn't be passive. 
Become active against the desolation, meaning the work of the devil, by praying more, making an examination of our lives, caring for ourselves through exercise and healthy eating, doing good works for others. In short, move your focus from yourself to others. And know that the desolation, the battle is temporary and will pass. Um, this, I think, was a key insight for me. In the original Spanish, it uses a word that means to act against. And so Ignatius says, like, when you're like, I'm in spiritual battle, well, act against it, he'll say. Um, do something very active that engages your will against what is coming against you. I, and I think this is, this is different than like, oh, I need to call Deacon Val and have her pray for me. I mean, I would be glad to pray for you, but first I want you to act against the desolation yourself. You know, throw that ink pot against the devil. Um, that, that engagement of the will against um, just sort of this like day-to-day -day ordinary demonic muddle that we, that we deal with as, as followers of Jesus, we, we act against them. Um, And then let's, let's jump to work, uh, to rules 12, 13, 14, because I think these are, I think, really helpful in our pastoral ministry um, to understand what's going on when we minister to others and to help us see uh, when they are being tempted and when they're in danger of self-deception. So uh, this, is his, this, this is just his observation of how the en enemy works. Rule 12. Uh, the enemy acts like a manipulative man, a woman or man, because he knows that he is fighting from a place of actual weakness and he is powerless to execute the malice that he intends. Um, so if you think about this, think of a um, like classic, you know, how Italians all have these mistresses, you know? So um, it's just kind of part of their culture. It is, I mean, it's like an accepted part of a lot of Italian culture. So imagine um, the mistress who is like, you know, Julio over there has a lot of money. It'd be so nice if I was his mistress. There'd be a lot of perks, okay? Actually, this woman doesn't have any power, right? I mean, she's poor. She's in need of what he has. I mean, it's in terms of like social hierarchy, she is way down at the bottom, and he has a lot of power. So if you think about the devil in a similar kind of way, is that when he's trying to seduce you uh, and get you off track, he actually is coming at you from a position of weakness, not from a position of strength. For it's the nature of such a person when quarreling with someone stronger than himself to lose courage and run away when he is resisted with force. Um, uh, I, I have been in a couple of situations where, um, uh, in, in, in marriages where literally someone is in the danger of being seduced, you know, and if somehow the spouse gets wind of that and pitches a fit, it's amazing how the problem goes away. Just because they got mad. So there's a similar sense in that when we are like being beset by the devil and all of a sudden you get alarmed and decide to do something about it, Oftentimes the devil will just back off. It's like, okay, never mind. You're you're too much work for me. <laughs> I'm going to find easier prey. But even while running away, he will try to intimidate and terrify his victim with rage and spite and hatred, even though he's powerless to inflict actual harm. So it is with the devil. 
When we boldly resist him, the devil backs down and flees, though he may attempt to frighten as he departs. When under demonic pressure, it is dangerous to remain passive or fearful or timid, because when left unchallenged, there is no wild beast so fierce on the face of the earth as is the enemy of human nature. His wicked designs and malice are endless. Um, there was a woman at uh, Fully Alive uh, a month or so ago who experienced really significant deliverance. And I've been walking with her for a long time. And I think she's actually been delivered of demons and let them back, and, and then we kicked them out again. So it was, uh, it was interesting, though, the last conversation I had with her, I was like, you need to be careful. Like, you should anticipate that the devil is going to be, like, messing with you for the next couple of days. Because he's not happy at all with the freedom that you have achieved. And um, she came back to me three days later. She's like, thank you so much for warning me. You wouldn't believe what happened when I got home. Because there is this, even after the person receives freedom, there's often this little backlash that's there. And if you warn them, this is probably <coughs> going to happen. And you're going to have to, like, be strong. Uh, that's a, a very, very important, helpful it's not a sign that it like didn't work. <laughs> it's a sign that it did work, and uh, but there's still a fight uh, for this person's life. Um, another one, uh, Rule 13. The enemy also acts like a false lover wishing to be hidden and undiscovered. For such a person will try, for example, to secretly charm and seduce the daughter of some good father or the wife of some good husband. So will the devil hide his schemes to lure us away from God. He wants us to be afraid and ashamed to tell anyone that we're being tempted. Consequently, as soon as we make up our minds to ask for help, the devil increases his efforts to scare us or shame us into keeping silent because he knows he will lose his power over us as soon as we ask for help from someone who understands the devil's schemes. Um, <laughs> on, uh, I, I see a spiritual director once a month, and occasionally I'll be like, I'm not telling this to my spiritual director. I'll be like, yeah, you probably better. <laughs> like, if there's something in me that I'm, like, almost ashamed that I experienced this temptation, um, and therefore I'm not going to tell anybody because it's so embarrassing, you know, that I'm being tempted in this way, that's just what the devil wants. So Ignatius's big insight here is, like, when you're being tempted, tell somebody. Um, the power of the devil will be broken immediately. And if you feel like it's such a struggle to actually make the phone call, say, hey, can we be talk? talk? I think I'm really in trouble here. Um, the resistance to asking for help, um, consider that spiritual battle. Uh, I think that's just a really good insight. All right. Um, All right, let's turn, uh, just turn the page on. There's a second set of rules for discernment here. And some of this I'll leave to you to read. Um, um I, I think Ignatius's insights here are especially helpful because um, he was also a part of a movement that was kind of exciting and growing quickly, you know. And as church planting movements, I think uh, as a church planting movement, I think we can be 
um, susceptible to temptations towards the ego, you know, like, you know, I'm going to plant a church and it's going to be bigger than all the other churches, you know, or like, it's it, it very, very subtle, but it can be like, I want to do something heroic for God, really heroic for God, and not understand that, like, sometimes that is where the devil's going to be messing with us at this point um, in our lives. Um, so let me uh, go through a couple of these. Um, number three, um, false consolation and subtle temptation. It's on page five. Um, as a person matures in faith, the devil's temptations become more subtle, tempting the serious Christian to do something that may be good, but that will lead, little by little, away from the greater good that God intends. The temptation may take the form of a false consolation, perhaps an idea or an inspiration that is, in fact, an attempt to get a person off track. Um, this can be really um, important with ministry discernment. Um, like at Res, we don't do this as much anymore, but it would be like, you know, your five ministry goals for the year, you know. Um, creative ideas can spring up uh, when you're trying to think about what you're going to do next. Um, that if you, if you just deal with it on your own without, like, talking to someone else, this is why we have a bishop, you know, like to, to run that by someone else's for their discernment. Sometimes the thing that you want to do is like really cool and awesome and it would be so cool, but it actually is taking you away from the main thing that God has given you to do. So that's, Ignatius says, we want to watch out for that. Uh, it's important to identify and expose the subtle influences of the devil because down the road, the enemy's goal is to lead through crafty and subtle temptations, even sincere souls into this damnable intention and wickedness. Um, I'm thinking of a particular ministry partner of mine that just became obsessed with getting a PhD. And I, you know, the people around him were like, you don't need a PhD to do your ministry. And um, a lot of people were telling him, don't do it. But I mean, what's wrong with getting a PhD? There's nothing wrong with getting a PhD. Um, but it was that which like occasioned his demise. Um, um, and, but not right away. It's down the road. Uh, it's, it's the long-term um, fruit of, of, of the decision. Uh, when a person is earnestly seeking to follow and obey God, God and his angels aid and influence the soul that it may grow, rise and grow from good to better. Uh, number five, rule number five is helpful too. Um, some discernment, meaning decision-making, takes time. It's important to discern the progression and development of any inspiration that seems to come from God. Sometimes it's not immediately apparent whether one's thoughts and intentions are being influenced by the Holy Spirit or another influence. When a thought comes from God, it becomes increasingly good and life-giving as it is pondered over the course of time. God-given inspiration lingers and bears good fruit at the beginning and middle and end of the process. Um, 
I think that that's been really helpful for me. I, I think I'm a pretty creative person, and um, I get all kinds of cool ideas about awesome things to do for the kingdom of God. You know, and none of them are like bad in and of themselves. But when they come, they feel so good, and I'm like, oh wow, maybe this is the Lord. But then where is it in the middle of the process? You know, the first person I talked to about the idea, how does that go? Um, then I moved down the road to actually executing it. How does that feel? So watching those sort of creative inspirations, um, starting at the beginning, uh, the middle, and the end, and realizing we can, like, we can get off track uh, at any time there. Um, and strangely, the devil can get involved in the work of God. Um, with, with these kinds of um, distractions. Uh, on the contrary, thoughts that are inspired by the enemy of our souls, though they seem good at first, can be more easily discerned as deception as we observe the bad spiritual fruit and consequences that develop over time. Um, Ignatius observed that some telltale signs that we are following the wrong advice. Distraction. We become preoccupied with thoughts or projects that distract us from something that God has clearly led us to do. Um, you can't believe the things I think about doing when I'm like getting ready to like go on a, uh, like a ministry trip or I need to preach or something. <laughs> Is it really necessary to reorganize the attic today? You know, probably not. So. Is it, is it sinful to organize the attic? No. <laughs> but is this like a really subtle deception in the moment, you know? Devil's messing with me. Um, ineffectiveness, our, en our energies are divided and consequently we're not able to do the good we intended before this new inspiration required our attention. Um, I, I think like uh, supervisors on a church staff like res with a young staff, this probably happens all the time where they're like, you know, your job description is X, Y, Z. Why haven't you gotten to that? Oh, because I had this great other idea, you know? Uh, and there's, not, there's that need to submit to others to help us know, like, are we, like, spinning off into something, or is this, uh, uh, is this a distraction? And then a third uh, telltale sign is weakness, disquiet of soul, or disturbance of soul. The new endeavor or preoccupation steals the person's peace, tranquility, and quiet, which it had before. This observable loss of strength and peace is a clear sign that the influence is of the evil spirit. Is there anything else I want to bring to your attention? Um, I, I don't think so. I just leave you those to ponder, um, um, to realize that like, even when we are like, like you guys are working on your ministry goals and visions for next week, you know, like, how do they feel as you articulate them? Um, sometimes something, uh, at least for me, sometimes on paper, I'm like, that is amazing. That is heroic. But I just feel like I'm going to barf when I think about trying to do it, you know? Like, <laughs> that, that could be, like, anxiety that God wants me to push through. On the other hand, it could be in the depths of, even though in, the, in my mind it sounds really like a good idea, on the heart level, there's something in me that says the timing isn't right on this or this is coming from my ego or I'm trying to get approval from people or whatever. Um, just to be aware that this same, dis we, we, we want to be doing this kind of discernment of our own souls um, on just sort of a day-to-day, -day, week week-to-week basis, being really attentive to th this internal discernment um, then is really helpful when we go to minister to others. 
uh, even when we're listening to them, you can be like, mm, that sounds like a really strong ego temptation. You know, that, I don't know that that's from the Holy Spirit. Um, um, I, not too long ago, I was uh, sitting with someone who, um, uh, he, he's in the midst of making a decision, a career decision, and um, he was just observing how the most fruitful things that have come from his ministry have actually been the most humble and unexpected. Um, and they were actually the fruit that would last. And he said, you know, a few years ago, what I wanted most was to like preach and someone to say, that was amazing. And now he's like, I don't know that I want so many of the like, that was amazing. It's like, I would rather be uh, doing something um, that, that's quiet, that's humble, but has long lasting fruit. And as I was listening to him, when he started articulating that piece about the humility, I just felt like Holy Spirit tingles all over my body. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's where the Lord is. Why was I able to have that discernment while I'm listening to him? Because I've been discerning my own ego needs versus those, those calls to humility. I've been doing that internal work for years. And like being like, oh, there we go again, fell into the old ego trap again, you know. Uh, and digging out and like starting over and reapproaching the, the values of Jesus because I've been doing that deep inner work. When I listen to him, I'm able to listen with discernment. So that's, my, that, that's why this seems like, what in the world does this have to do with discernment, uh, with d uh, the demonic? It has a lot because this is one of the ways we have our senses trained to discern uh, good from evil.